Exodus chapter 18, we've got three main divisions here, three main divisions in Exodus chapter 18, and um, uh, they are family visit, father-in-law's advice, and following that advice. Family visits are not always um, a fun thing. Uh, some of us oftentimes can, can find ourselves in a situation where we're visiting with family and we're kind of feeling like, all right, this is enough. You know, I've had my fill. Let's move on. Uh, but this is going to turn out to be an excellent family visit and, in fact, is going to have some extremely helpful information for Moses. Let's look at it in the first section, which is the family visit, verses 1 down to verse 12. Verse 1 says this, And Jethro, the priest of Midian, this was Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back with her two sons, of whom the name of one was Gershom. If you're taking notes, that means stranger there. His name Gershom means stranger there. For he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. In verse 4, the name of the other was Eliezer, my God is help. Eliezer means my God is help. For he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Now we'll get into the rest of those verses in just a moment. But just to set the scene in case you're unaware as to what's going on. Uh, Moses has led the people out of, uh, out of Egypt. And uh, at some point, he sent his wife Zipporah back to her father. Now, this was not a permanent move, but probably, most likely, because of the nature of the trip that Moses was on. Going into Egypt, there was danger there, and Moses probably thought it best to send his wife out of danger and back to uh, her father's house. So that's, in fact, what happened, and they're, they're two little boys, we find out. And so now, uh, Midian, uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Jethro, his father-in-law, hears about all of the incredible things that have been taking place. So... He decides uh, that we're going to, he says, uh, hey, we're going to go back and we're going to visit Moses. And, and he decides to go back and he's going to take his daughter, Zipporah, which is Moses' wife. We're going to go back and we're going to visit. And uh, we're going to take the two boys also. So uh, it's a good thing. Moses probably has been quite a while since he's seen his family. And so this, this is a very good thing. Picking it up in verse 5. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. Now he had said, he had sent this message evidently ahead of time in verse 6. Now he had said to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons um, with her. So we're, we're, we're coming Moses, uh, giving Moses a head up, heads up. Verse 7. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and greeted him with a very normal greeting for that time. He bowed down and kissed him, especially for Moses. Um, he, what he's doing is he's submitting himself to his father-in-law. His father-in-law obviously is older than he is, has more authority. Moses is showing his respect and bowing down to uh, Jethro. But he also gives him a kiss, okay? Nothing strange going on there. All of us are very much aware of, you know, that everybody would kiss one another. 
um, uh, even the men back then. Some of you may have families like this still. You just perhaps met with family and everybody goes around. I know for, for uh, my family, obviously being in a Hispanic family, you walk into the, to the party and you just go around and I would just like kiss all 30 of my aunts or however many I have. And, you know, some of the cousins or whatever greet each other. The men, we don't normally kiss because we're so tough and manly in my family. But um, still we would give hugs. Um, but, but, but bowing down, normal. Kissing was very normal. Even for these two men to kiss one another was, a, was a, a, an absolutely normal thing. And they asked each other about their well-being, and they went into the tent. So they, they meet, they greet, and then they go into the tent. And here's what happens inside of the tent, verse 8. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh, to the Egyptians, for Israel's sake. All the hardship that had come upon them on the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. Now, a, a quick note before we move on. What's happening here in verses 7 and 8 is that Moses is reporting. They asked one another, how's it going? Moses says, come on in, I'll tell you about it. Now, Jethro already had a clue, but he can go there and meet with Moses and get some detail. So, in verse 8, what he does is that Moses actually tells his father-in-law two things. All that the Lord had done. And then at the end of verse 8, and how the Lord had delivered them. Now this would have been his opportunity, Moses' opportunity, to tell Jethro just how incredible he himself had done. You should have seen me in Egypt when I was talking to Pharaoh, man. I really laid it down. Or you should have seen me out uh, when uh, the people were crying for food. How, you know, I, I really just, I told the Lord he better just, you know, let's go, you know, get us some food. Or, or man, you should have seen us when, um, uh, when we were needing some water. Everybody's thirsty and I just hit this rock and, oh, man, it was incredible the way I did that. But we find that he does not do any of that. In fact, verse 8 tells us that nothing was about himself. Verse 8, in fact, he does two things. He says, he tells Jethro all that the Lord had done, and then secondly, how the Lord had delivered them. Now, this is a, a, a cool little piece of information for us, that as the holiday season is upon us and we're meeting with family and with friends, to give you something to talk about. Um, this, uh, it, it's, it's funny, the, uh, the, the, the vibe in here on a Sunday morning. Sunday morning, it's like an like, uh, absolute cemetery. Wednesday night, it's like an entirely different world, right? It's like, shut up, you know, like we're trying to get down. You know, but Sunday mornings, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, it's, it's, it's just dead. And, and uh, it's funny because on a Sunday morning, I can say, hey, how's it going? Fine. That's it. Right now, I can ask, ask, hey, you know, who's awake? Like two of you would be like, I think. Oftentimes, it is because we feel like my life is not interesting. Uh, I haven't, you know, I haven't done anything that's worthy of telling someone else. And that may or may not be true. I'm not trying to be rude or mean. It's just I, I, I know that, that a lot of your time during the week is spent on a computer doing school. 
and then it's like, then I do nothing. Uh, and, you know, I just spend a lot of time, like, sitting around, and may, you might even hate it. But I want you to take note from, we ought to take note, note from Moses. When Moses is asked about, hey, how's it going? What's, what's been going on? He's got plenty to tell. Because Moses is excited about what God has been doing, but also because Moses is not talking about himself. He's not explaining all of his, uh, you know, putting forth all of his wonderful virtues. He's not talking about all of the, you know, you should have seen me when I split the Red Sea, because he didn't do that. He's telling all about what God had done. And so for you and I, as we gather with people, as we gather perhaps with family, and sometimes your older family members will say, hey, come here, kid, you know, tell me what's going on, how have you been? Fine. All right, good talk. You know, next. For you to be able to say, well, uh, let me tell you about what God's, God's been doing. Here's what he's been showing me. This is what he's been teaching me as I, as I spend time reading the Bible during the week. Because, you know, they might ask, well, what do you do all week? Well, I go to school, I read, hang out, whatever. Well, you know, what are you learning? What are you reading? Whatever. And that's your opportunity. That's an invitation for you to be able to say, ah, well, let me tell you what I read in this book. Or let me tell you what I heard in a Bible study. Or let me tell you what I read in my morning devotion. This is what God says. This is what God did. So it's an opportunity. Moses has that opportunity. That's exactly what he does. Two things in verse 8. All that the Lord had done and how the Lord had delivered them. I, I like in the middle of verse 8, he says all the hardship that had come upon them on the way. I, do, you, do you understand that Moses is not trying to hide anything? He's not trying to say, man, it has just been absolutely peachy out here. It's, about, it's like a vacation. You know, just living for God. It's just like a big vacation. Some people are like that. They'll come across as, man, nothing's ever wrong. They just have a permanent smile on their face. Nothing's ever wrong. But Moses has no problem telling Jethro, look, man, we also had some problems. It was incredible what God did, but we also had some huge problems. But the Lord delivered us. So for you and I, yeah, uh, you know, the year's been okay. It started out okay, but... You know, it's been pretty terrible since, and, you know, I just, you know, hate doing school, whatever, whatever issues, man, but this is what God has been doing, is, is what a wonderful opportunity to be able to share those things. Now, he goes from reporting, Moses reports, and Jethro rejoices. Verse 9, then Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, his heart is stirred up, verse 10, Blessed be the Lord. Bless you. Blessed be the Lord and blessed be Matthew. Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. He goes on, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. For in the very thing in which they behaved proudly, he was above them. Now we'll get to verse 12 in just a moment, but I want you to see his rejoicing. When Moses shares the good report of all that God had been doing and the bad stuff, but God had come through, what that does is it stirs Jethro's heart up. Now, this is what we're, what we're reading about right now is genuine fellowship. Um, sometimes we think 
that you know if we're going to have a Bible study or we're going to have a you know a youth event, church event, uh, as long as we add some food in. If somebody brings donuts, then it's fellowship. If somebody brings breakfast burritos, oh, it's fellowship. Uh, youth ministry, if somebody brings pizza, oh, it's fellowship. But in fact, this is what fellowship is. It's not necessarily eating, although that is a good thing. We like that. But what it is, is it's talking about the things of God. And that's what these two are doing. Now, I don't know if you've got a friend like this, but Moses, and these are, these are their family, obviously, but they're also friends. Moses tells about God, and what it does is it excites the heart of Jethro. Does anyone in here have a, have a friend like that that, that, that every time you talk to them, even if you're down, things are going wrong, you talk to them and just you, you leave the conversation like the meeting, you, you just you feel more excited. Anybody got a friend like that? Like, man, they're just always like that. That's a good thing. In, in, the, in the first service, there was like three people that raised their hands. How sad that more of us don't have that kind of a friend. I've got a, a, I've got a few friends. And there are some of them that just every time I'm around them, they just, they're exciting. I've got a friend named Kenyo who's a pastor at a Spanish Calvary Chapel. And every time I'm with that guy, like he's always thinking future. Like I'm always running to catch up, like trying to figure out like, oh, you know, we've got an event tomorrow. I guess I better start planning. Kenya was always thinking in the future. Every time I talk to him, hey, listen, he'll tell me, hey, uh, and he talks like this. Um, uh, listen, brother, um, um, I'm thinking that in two years, man, we're going to take a team to Bolivia. And um, I want you to pray about going. It's like, what? I, I have no desire to go to Bolivia. But he's, he's that type of an individual. He's always thinking about what can we do, what can we do, what can we do. And every time I'm with him, I get excited about that stuff. Moses starts telling, hey, this is what God has been doing, and it stirs up the heart of Jethro. If you've got a friend that's like that, hold on to that friend. Okay? Especially if they do that because they're talking about the Lord. That's, that's absolutely key. So Jethro is all excited. Uh, Blessed be the Lord. He praises him in verse 10. And then in verse 11, he says this. He declares this. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods, referring to the gods in Egypt, but in Jethro's heart, he's probably thinking just any false gods there are anywhere in the universe, God's higher than them. Now it's not that he did not know that already, but he's declaring this out loud. He's saying now, now it's obvious. The Egyptians are wiped out. Their false gods have been humiliated. And let's just declare it. Let's let everybody know. And then he goes on to say the, the reason why in the very thing in which they behaved proudly, he was above them. Okay. And then in verse 12, he acts upon that. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and other sacrifices to offer to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses. Uh, with Moses' father-in-law before God. So Jethro gets so excited that he goes out and he sacrifices to God. And then they invite Aaron and all of the leaders of Israel. Come on, let's all get together. And it wasn't just eat bread, but the, the phrase means that they got together and they had a meal. So they celebrated. 
They celebrated the, the, the coming of Jethro. They celebrated all that God had done in incredible time. Okay? So what a the, the visit is starting out incredibly so far. Okay? Let's find out what happens. Father-in-law's advice. Sometimes those father-in-laws, many of you don't know about this yet, but sometimes those father-in-laws have advice. And sometimes, once in a while, it's good advice. Okay? Verse 13, and so it was on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people. And those people stood before Moses from morning until evening. What was happening is that Moses was spending each day, his entire day, sitting in a specific spot, wherever that was, and there was a steady line of people coming to him to ask him to judge their case. Now we say, judge their case? Like, what is this? I, I do not understand. The children of Israel were God's people. But they most certainly, if you haven't figured this out yet, they most certainly were not perfect people. And they had a lot of problems, a lot of issues. Keep in mind that these, this, this entire group that Moses is leading spent their entire lives in slavery in Egypt. It would be like someone spending their entire life in prison, in the prison system. What might that person do when they get to the Thanksgiving dinner table? How would they act? Uh, would they would their would their uh, uh, you know would they have you know proper manners and proper etiquette and and uh, you know would would they use the fork to eat or would they use it to stab somebody? You know, it's 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 someone who's they've been conditioned, they've been raised and conditioned a certain way, and as they're heading toward the promised land, God is working all of that old Egyptian life out of them, that old slavery life, and changing them. But they're still in the process, and so they would have problems with one another. They'd have issues. Any time you have two more, you know, more than one person together, you're going to have problems. Sometimes even just us by ourselves becomes a problem. There's a story about a man who was on a deserted island, you know, shipwreck, and he was the only one to survive and ended up on this island, and uh, he built himself a hut. Um, and, and when, um, years later, a ship was passing by and, and noticed the man out there, he's out there waving him for help, and they, they, you know, they get out there, get a, a boat to him, and, and, and by the time they get there, there's actually two huts. And they said, hey, you know, is there, is there somebody else, you know, living out here? And, uh, you know, what's with the two huts? He goes, oh, no. He says, that one over there, that's, that's, that was my first church. And they're like, your first church? Like, is there someone else out here? Or what are you talking about? And, and, and what's the second one? He goes, oh, that was my second church. I got mad at the first church and went to the second one. Even him by himself, he was miserable. And sometimes we're like that. But anytime you have more than one person, you're going to have problems. There's going to be issues. They had potentially millions of people out here. There are problems. And what was happening was every single day they're bringing their cases, their issues to Moses. And Moses is sitting there all day long judging. So in verse 14, beginning in verse 14, we see the inquiry of Jethro. So when Moses' father-in-law 
saw all that he did for the people, he said, what is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a difficulty, they come to me. And I judge between one and another. And I make known the statutes of God and his laws. It was a good thing. Moses is trying to be a blessing to all of these people. But he's spending his entire day out there. So in verse 17, Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you do is not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out, for this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. So what you're doing, I mean, it's, it's working in one sense, but in the meantime, you're wearing yourself out, Moses. You're not going to be any good to anyone else. Plus, it's going to be very frustrating to all of the people who may have genuine needs, but now they go, you know, they, they do what, uh, uh, what I did during, uh, uh, you know, all of this pandemic and all the shutdowns. A couple of times I was like, I was looking, I wanted to go buy a new drill, and uh, I drove to, uh, um, uh, there was a sale. I went down to Home Depot, and uh, the Home Depot in Redlands was like, I get, I, I'm pulling into the parking lot, there's a line out there of people waiting to get in. It's like, forget it, the drill's not worth it. And uh, I didn't have much going on that day. And I had, I think, a couple of my, my girls with me. And I said, uh, hey, you mind if I if we go down to the, the uh, Home Depot uh, down on, um, on hospitality over in San Diego? No, not a public. Let's go. We, we drive over there. I pull in the parking lot. There's a line. Forget it. Drill's not worth it. And then I said, you know what? I'll give it one more chance. I went over to the Home Depot that's in the ghetto. No line. <laughs> right? Should have just went there first. But, but there's a steady line, and sometimes people might have a problem, and then they, they show up, and it's like, well, we need to talk to Moses, but there's a line. Forget it. I'll just, let's just keep hating each other. So it's going to create problems, this, this, this huge you know, waiting period, this huge line, just to get to see Moses. Plus, Moses is going to be worn out. So he inquires. Now, what he does is this in verse 19. Listen now to my voice. So Jethro's about to give some advice. He says, I will give you counsel, and God will be with you. I'm going to give you some counsel. Listen to me. Stand before God for the people. Here's the first thing that he does, or that he tells them, or he advises. Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God. That is called interceding. He tells Moses, the first thing you need to do is bring all of these issues and problems to God. Intercede on behalf of the people. When you pray for someone else, you are interceding for them. Okay? Now, there's a couple things here I want to point out before we move on. This is part of my responsibility with you. Sometimes some of you will come and you'll say, hey, uh, I, I have this issue or I have this problem or I have this question. I usually do my best to try and get us back to the word. Well, let's see, what does the Bible say? But you, you may, it's very often you'll catch me and I'll say, um, I don't really know. Um, and so what we'll, what we'll do, either way, whether I give you an answer or whether I don't have an answer, what I try to do is say, you know what, um, let's, let's pray about this. That's interceding. When I'm praying for you, I'm interceding for you. And that's 
part of the responsibility of a leader. You've got to intercede on behalf of the other people. The other thing is this. It's a good thing for you to share your challenges or your problems or your difficulties or disagreements, whatever you have. It's a good thing for you to share it online and then get everybody's opinion. Just kidding. Don't do that. Okay? It's a good thing for you to share that with the leaders that we have in here. We've got leaders in here that are available to listen to you, to hear you, and to help you with your issue, with your problem. It's a good thing to not let that problem just fester. Got a problem with somebody? Say, hey, Megan, let's, 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 go, talk, let's go talk to Zach, or let's go talk to Matt, or whatever, or let's go talk to one of the girls, and, and let's go find out, like, you know, what, what should we do about this? But the interceding part, he tells them, okay, Moses, you need to intercede on behalf of the people. Talk to God about the people. Don't talk to other people about the people. Talk to God about the people. The second thing that he advises is for him to instruct. Now, this happens to be my favorite part of the study, and you'll find out why in just a moment. Verse 20, and you, he tells them, he tells Moses, and you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. In other words, don't just intercede. Interceding is a good thing, but for the leader, he tells Moses, you should be instructing the people. Now, when Moses instructs the people with God's word, what will happen is there will be less counseling to do. I rarely do topical studies. Um, I am not confident doing doing topical studies at all. By topical, I mean like, hey, this week uh, we're, we're going to, uh, you know, I've got to study, you know, the, uh, the dangers of TikTok. And let's just talk about social media, okay, and what God's Word says about it. Now, some, some people, some guys, some people could do a really good job of teaching that study. Uh, I would be horrible at it, okay? What I mainly do, you've discovered this already because most of you have been around for a while. Here's what I normally do. I normally start in a book at the beginning, like chapter 1, verse 1, and then I teach through the entire book. The more Bible I teach, the less counseling you are going to need. If we start in Genesis, and you say, well, um, you know, was, was the world created or was it a product of evolution? Well, let's look at Genesis. Genesis tells us, no, God designed it. It wasn't evolution. Well, what about marriage? Well, the Bible, you know, Genesis also talks about marriage. Uh, what about, you know, stealing? What about uh, lying? What about, uh, you know, problems with another person? As The more time that we spend in the Bible, the more knowledge you're going to have, the less counsel that you will need. If you are coming both Sundays and Wednesdays here, you are getting Old Testament on Sunday mornings, New Testament on Wednesday nights. So you're getting more of the Bible. Now, when years ago when I used to coach soccer, um, I have you know a bunch of little kids. So I was the young kids. It was my kids, and then you know their teams. Um, you've seen this. I've seen it. 
oftentimes coaches will line up, you know, all ten of their players. Like, okay, everybody in a single file line. And they get a ball, put the ball down, and they say, okay, we're going to take turns kicking the ball. So kick the ball, Johnny. And Johnny kicks the ball, and okay, who get the ball and bring it back? And then Johnny runs and gets the ball, brings it back, puts it back in its place. Okay, the next, okay, you go to the back of the line, next person, ready? Okay, you kick the ball. Okay, go chase it and bring it back. In the meantime, all the little kids are, like, pulling on each other's hair and, you know, pushing each other and sneezing on one another. And, you know, like, just, it's an absolute mess. And, and, and like, in ten minutes... Ten kids get to kick the ball one time each. So what I started doing was, I was like, this is not working. So what I would do is I would tell them all, listen, you need to bring your own ball to practice. Now we've got ten kids, and there are ten balls. And then I would line up all ten of the balls, and I would get one kid at each ball. And then I would say, okay. When I blow the whistle, you're going to kick your ball and then go chase it and bring it back. Blow the whistle, they kick the ball, they go chase the ball, they bring it back. Now what I've done is in 10 minutes, instead of each kid getting one kick, in 10 minutes, 10 kids have gotten 10 kicks. The, the, the secret in sports or in any other thing, but I'm using soccer because that's the greatest sport in the world, what, what would happen is the more touches, the better. The more times that you touch that ball, the more familiar you're going to be. To, to become with it. So Ronaldo did not learn how to be a fan, you know, the world's best player uh, because he kicked the ball once every 10 minutes. He kicked it over and over and over and over and over and over again. David Beckham, all of his, you know, him and all of his glorious good-looking self, I don't think he's good-looking, but I'm sure many of you do, but he didn't learn how to bend the ball to kick it over that direction and make it end up over there where Matt's at. He didn't do that by just kicking the ball, you know, once every 10 minutes. It was repetitive. It was constantly touching the ball. So the same thing with God's word. The more of God's word that I get into my mind, into my heart, the better off I'm going to be. The more familiar I'm going to be with it, the less counsel I'm going to need. So this is especially important here in verse 20, at least to me it is, okay? They're to he's to intercede, but he's also to instruct, spend more time teaching the people rather than just sitting and listening to their problems, okay? Now they were to, you know, they were still to, to he still needed to hear people's problems, but spend more of your time teaching, it's going to be more constructive, it's going to be more beneficial for everyone. So intercede, instruct, and then he tells him in verse 21 to include others. I love this. This has come up. I think this is the third time it's come up in the last few weeks, both on Sundays and Wednesdays. Verse 21, moreover, you shall select from all the people. Look over here at the group that you've got. Able men, such as, number one, fear God. They've got to fear God. If they do not fear God, don't use them. They fear God. They must be honest people, men of truth, honest. And then thirdly, they must hate covetousness and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. So in other words, he says, choose faithful people and then put them in charge of small so that you're spreading out the work. 
again, we've talked about this. I think this is the third time that we've talked about this between Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings because in Wednesday night, uh, Wednesday nights we were in Rome, or we still are in Romans. The last time we were in here together, um, we were talking about uh, uh, the, the, um, uh, uh, the, the fact that each of us has a different part to play in God's church, that all of us have something special to give and that we all need to play our part. We talked about it on a uh, Sunday morning, and here we are talking about it again. If you come on Wednesday nights, we have worship, we have study like we just like we're doing now, and then we break up into small groups. What I've done is I've appointed these types of people over those small groups. Okay, some of you, many of you feel very uncomfortable talking to me. I get it. It's like, oh, well, he's on stage, or he's the pastor, and he's just scary. So, and, and that's okay. I, I understand. I've done the same thing. But that is why I've got Zach in here. That's why we've got the two Zachs, you know, Zach Vineyard and Zach Brown. That is why we have the ladies in here. That's why we have Josie and Hannah and Karina. That's why we've got Matt. We've got all of these different people so that everyone can, can, can make themselves available. I'm spreading out the work. But on Wednesday night specifically, we break for small groups. And, and if I were to say, okay, um, listen, um, you know, it's the Chris Amaro show, and uh, small groups are going to be, everybody's just with me. And uh, ladies, I'd really like you to share your heart with me about the study. Most of you would do what you're doing now. Like, there's no way I'm not saying anything. My lips are glued. No way. Because you don't feel comfortable talking to me, but you feel comfortable talking to Josie or to Hannah or to Karina or to Alexis. Same thing with the guys. I hand it off to Zach Brown, small groups. Zach Brown. Zach Vineyard gets one of the other groups. And so we spread out the work that way. What that does is it keeps me, one of the things is, keeps me, from wearing myself out, but also it makes it more effective. I can't possibly be available for every single person in this room all at once. Now, I'm available for you. I'd love to talk with you, pray for you, answer any questions that you might have, but I can't do that for everybody all at once. And so that's why we've got these other leaders that can be available spreading out the work. That's what we're doing. So include other people. Now notice these requirements in verse 21, such as fear God. Okay, so first of all, the leaders in here, same thing, they fear God. They love God. That's why they're in here. Okay, they're not doing this for like community service hours. Okay, Josie got arrested. She's just trying to fulfill her community service hours, and so that's why she's in here hanging out with you guys. But when her, you know, 50 hours are up, sign off, she's out of here, okay? That's, that's, it's not that. She actually volunteers to come in here. Can you imagine that? You know your parents, like they slow down and kick you out? She actually comes here purposely to hang out with you. Wow, okay? So they fear God. They are honest people. The leaders that are in here that you're surrounded with are honest people. Thirdly, speaking about these judges, but same thing for us in here, hating 
covetousness. They don't covet. Now, now someone asked in the, in the second service, they asked, why, why covetousness? Like, I mean, this, this is a good thing not to covet. But why do these people, why were they required to hate covetousness? Well, think about it. They're going to be judges, right? And judges are people. And sometimes judges can be manipulated or they can be bribed, bought off. So these judges that we're talking about here in Exodus, they couldn't, they had to hate covetousness so that no one could pay them off. Hey, I'll slip you, you know, I'll give you some of my manna if you just, you know, you know, have the, you know, the judgment go in my favor. You know, they couldn't do that. They didn't want that happening. But same thing in here. The leaders that are in here, you need to know, they've been what we call vetted. In other words, they've filled out paperwork. Uh, they went through uh, a, a process where they were, you know, the paperwork and there was a background check done. And, um, you know, um, uh, most of them are safe, you know. And, uh, they, you know, they're, they're here. They've, they've they're, they're, they're here and, and they are godly individuals and there's no, um, you know, there are, there are no issues. If someone like, if someone wanted to be a leader in here, but they had some kind of, you know, weird problem with, you know, minors in the, in the past or something like that, we'd be like, no, this is not the place for you. We've, you know, served somewhere else, but not in here. We wouldn't do that. So the same type of thing here. There had to be some requirements, and one of them was they had to hate covetousness. They don't want anybody being bribed, okay? By the way, your leaders do not get paid for being in here, okay? It's all volunteer work and community service hours. Verse 22, and let them judge the people. Let those, they've, they've got small groups. They've been assigned small groups, he tells, verse 22, and let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all this people will also go to their place in peace. So you have an opportunity to serve in here. You can show up and say, hey, what would you like me to do? And we can spread the work out. These chairs are supposed to be cleaned after every service with a COVID killer. And we've got gloves and we've got paper towels and we've got the spray. And you could jump in and do something like that. Or maybe you notice that the guy in front of you is clipping his nails during service. Clip, you know, nails go all over the place. like ah. And maybe you realize that, you know what, it needs to be vacuumed. So you go to the back and grab the vacuum. You don't have to have a alarm code or a pass or you don't even have to have my, I'm giving you my okay right now get the vacuum you get the vacuum you plug it in and you vacuum there are things that you can do in here you can serve in here to help spread the work out you know there's a there's a high turnover rate of of uh, youth ministry workers of youth pastors and that is because youth ministry is hard man Youth ministry is hard. Like, some days the students think you're so cool, the next day they don't even want to say hi to you. You know, like they'll see you in the hallway and they're just like, I don't even know you. It's tough. But oftentimes the youth workers will find themselves doing all of the work by themselves. No one pitching in, no one wants to help. 
And so normally after a couple of years, they're like, I've had it with this, man. Forget this stuff. I'm going to go be a senior pastor so I don't have to do anything. So it is important that we're supporting those that are in charge and helping out. And, hey, what do you need help? What, 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 you know, what do you need help with? What can I do? And you show up and you sweep, right? Or you do whatever you can. You, 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 you help out wherever you can. Now, let's finish up. Verse 24, following the advice. Moses is going to follow the advice, obviously. So Moses, in verse 24, heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. And Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And in verse 26, we see here that wisdom prevails. So they judged the people at all times. The hard cases they brought to Moses, but they judged every small case themselves. Then Moses, so it's, it worked in verse 26. It, that's man. He listened to the wisdom and it's working. Verse 27 to finish up, then Moses let his father-in-law depart and he went his way to his own land. So excellent, excellent visit with his, with his father-in-law. Wisdom prevailed. And so for us, the less, lots of lessons in here. But sometimes following the advice, oftentimes following the advice of somebody that's older than us can be a very good thing. We have to be careful about the source, about who it is. If it's your Uncle Greg, you know, who's 56 years old and, you know, still doesn't work and, you know, doesn't, you know, have any responsibilities and, you know, can't even, you know, pay his phone bill, then probably you don't want to listen to him. But if it's some individual in your family or a friend that's older, especially older in the Lord, and they're giving you some advice, it could be wise to stop, to listen, spread the work out, could be very, very valuable, not only for yourself, but for other people around you. If you, if you just burn out because, you know, you're trying to do everything, it's not going to be beneficial for anyone. A couple of quick...